In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Quote, A Christianity which does little in practice, while incessantly explaining its teachings, is dangerously unbalanced. Unquote. So, we can already imagine the headlines already. Pope downplays doctrine, which would be just as comically misleading as saying the Pope teaches against teaching, or the Pope denounces denunciations. It was this morning when the Holy Father said those words. He was addressing all the bishops of the world who happened to be in Philadelphia for the world meeting of families. They were gathered in the chapel at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary. What was he telling the bishops? Well, what a lot of people would tell bishops and priests, which is stop talking about things and start doing things. Right? Write less, do more. Speak less, do more. The context for his remarks was his address generally about the importance of family, and in particular about the paralysis of modern young people who have been led to be afraid of marriage. And remember, this follows on the heels of those concluding remarks to the joint session of Congress on Thursday. Quote, I cannot hide my concern for the family, which is threatened, perhaps as never before, from within and without. Fundamental relationships are being called into question, as is the very basis of marriage and the family. I can only reiterate the importance and, above all, the richness and the beauty of family life. In particular, I would like to call attention to those family members who are the most vulnerable, the young. For many of them, a future filled with countless possibilities beckons, yet so many others seem disoriented and aimless, trapped in a hopeless maze of violence, abuse, and despair. Their problems are our problems. We cannot avoid them. We need to face them together to talk about them and to seek effective solutions rather than getting bogged down in discussions. At the risk of oversimplifying, we might say that we live in a culture which pressures young people not to start a family because they lack possibilities for the future. Yet the same culture presents others with so many options that they too are dissuaded from starting a family. Many of us were expecting a fastball about abortion in those remarks. Instead, we did get a, a, a curveball about protecting life in all of its stages of development, and then this slider at the very end about contraception and the false preoccupation with overpopulation. Consider what, um, what's being taken to task here. Not so much the young people who are caught up in bad things, right? He's also taking to task those who promote same-sex marriage and all the other different permutations that will follow from it. He's taking to task those who are responsible for it, those who promote it. And if we were to hear his other voice explain more fully what's going on, we would hear him attribute all of this to the evil one. Because this is the voice of the shepherd who's trying to pattern his teaching after our Lord, who healed the paralytic instead of scolding him for his sins. He approached the paralytic and said, your sins are forgiven. 
The, the man was already suffering because of his sins. He was already suffering his punishment. The Lord acknowledged his guilt, but wasn't focused on the man's guilt, was focused on forgiving him, offering him mercy, healing, grace, and a fullness of life that will come if we follow Christ. With the backdrop of our Lord promising a millstone necklace and a deep watery grave for those who lead children into sin, it really is easy to connect all the dots of, um, of these messages. We can connect it as well to the Holy Father taking to task the United Nations organizations that try to force abortion and contraception on developing countries and try to force people away from their religious traditions for the sake of being able to receive development aid with all the strings attached. And, and we shouldn't be blind to the fact that it is our country that is directly involved in making that happen, not just in its own bilateral relations, but even multilaterally in these international organizations. The same time that we expose errors and that we explain ourselves, the Holy Father insists that we don't blame young people for growing up in this culture, rather we encourage them to choose marriage, that we inspire them to generosity, to hope, and to courage. Now, healing the culture, promoting marriage, that'll probably take different patterns, and some of them will be good and some of them won't. We can expect some people to attempt this by falsely equating the vocations of marriage and celibacy. And we know that that would not be genuinely Christian. It would be sincere in its effort to encourage people to embrace the beauty and the sacredness of holy matrimony, but it would ultimately undermine the very same sacrament. So let me explain that. Unless virginity is given pride of place, marriage won't enjoy a renaissance. Because if virginity isn't praised for some people, then chastity for everybody will be ridiculed. What we need to do is promote celibacy as the original Christian way of life, the original way of life for each individual Christian. It's that state in which we live for several decades until some marry. Or put in other words, it's in that setting that we experience true love before we start our own families. Without that, young people will drown in unchastity. And in fact, they already are drowning in unchastity. And the ones that aren't drowning in unchastity are usually just barely treading water and keeping their head up. These young people are scarred by their own or their friends' intimate relationships that have broken, that have become virtual divorces. They suffer the same emotionally that happens when someone gets married and, and, and all of that hope and promise um, turns into disappointment. How much more difficult it is for that young person, or even for that not-so-young person, to be confident that the next person who pledges unconditional love actually means it and is capable of following through. Now, the Holy Father did say that we need to invest our energies not so much 
in rehearsing the problems of the world around us and even the merits of Christianity, but in extending a sincere invitation to young people to be brave and to opt for marriage and family. True enough, it is St. Paul who reminds the Christian communities of the deadly sins that will guarantee that you don't end up in heaven. He does that several times in several different letters to different Christian communities. Mind you, to communities that already have committed to following Christ and are being tempted to to stray from the faith. It's also St. Paul that tells us to to meditate on what's good, to meditate on what's beautiful, on what's virtuous, on what's delightful, Consider if, if our task was to meditate on what's, on what's wrong so as to avoid it, the Christian community in its origin perhaps would have decided that, that Friday will be the obligatory day to go to church every week. Instead, it's Sunday that's the obligatory day to go to church every week because we don't, we never meditate on what's bad. We don't even meditate on our own sins. We call them to mind to have compunction, to confess them, to be absolved of them, and then free of them. But we meditate on what's good. We meditate on the cross as the victory over sin and death. We meditate on the resurrection. We meditate on the victory and the glory of God. And so in this fallen culture, with shepherds who themselves need a shepherd, and a flock that obviously need good shepherds, we stand before the Lord, all of us in need of his healing and his forgiveness. All of us in need of being encouraged that it's, it's possible to be good. And that being good is the only way that we can be happy. And that in particular, as Christians, we are called to fashion our life after his, which was a celibate life. And that the life of heaven which awaits us is a life where we will live like angels. Now, some of our well-meaning but unavoidably modernized brothers and sisters who don't understand the priority of celibacy over marriage will be preoccupied because they think it's a competition. They think that that somehow everyone deserves to be told that your way of life is the best possible way of life, which is just another way of falling into the trap of modernism and thinking that everyone has to be the best, right? There can be no there can be no losers, or everything's a competition, everything's a comparison. They fail to realize the, the, the complexity and the beauty of God fulfilling every human being, and that the greatest possible thing for us is whatever God has in store for us, whether it be our vocation in this life or whether it be our glorified state in heaven. Instead of being resentful that, well, that saint in heaven doesn't enjoy the same glory as that other saint in heaven. We know the saints in heaven aren't having that conversation. And so God's saints on earth also shouldn't be preoccupied or led to resentment. But realize that marriage will only be sustained and promoted when virginity and celibacy is promoted even more. With confidence that if, if marriage itself weren't already holy and beautiful and sacred, then foregoing it for the kingdom wouldn't be a good sacrifice. It would have to be obligatory for everybody. But that's not the case. And so we ask the Lord to totally transform our minds, 
to transform our families, to transform our culture. We know that even for those of us who already believe, we need help, we need encouragement, we need prayer, we need grace, we need the sacraments, we need the church. Imagine, imagine how hard it is for those outside of this, for those outside of the, of the, the regular assistance of God's grace, of the regular sustenance of prayer, the regular restoration of the sacraments, especially confession and receiving the most blessed sacrament. Remember our Lord, not only who healed the paralytic rather than scold him, but, but the Lord who befriended the Samaritan woman and allowed her to, to reveal everything that was afflicting her, every evil thing in her past that needed to be healed. Remember our Lord who, even when the, that woman whose, whose sins were being bandied about because she was caught in the sin of adultery, before this discussion, our Lord kept his mouth shut. He didn't speak of her sins in front of everybody else. He just traced on the ground and the dirt with his finger. When everyone else was gone, then he talked to her and offered her mercy and hope. And so our our task as believers, as followers, is to, to recognize and to reiterate the voice of the church, which is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The words and the deeds of Christ the words and the deeds of St. Paul, too. To be able to warn people about all the different traps that the evil one has set. And yet not to take aim at an individual person that's afflicted with that malady. But to try to befriend them. To try to offer them hope. To give them an experience of, 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 of the beauty of the Christian life. Where, where temperance in what we consume and modesty in what we wear, where purity in how we entertain ourselves results in peace and joy and hope and love and happiness. We know that to the degree that we enjoy these things, they've come from God. We, we can't claim credit for enjoying these things, for these, for, for these beautiful gifts being part of our life. So we ask the Lord to give us the wisdom and the courage and the humility to be brave before evil and to be merciful with sinners as he is with us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.